I have been threatening people for 45 years to do this. And today seemed just like the right day to do it. I grew up in northeastern Pennsylvania. If you don't know where that is, for those of you who are venture, would you hold up your map? <laughs> Turn it this way. This is Philadelphia. This is Pittsburgh. This is Kingston, Pennsylvania. Now you know where I grew up. Where I grew up was a very ethnic community, and uh, a lot of instruments were being played. And I remember at the age of eight, my father saying, David, it's time for you to take up an instrument. Let's go down to the music store and find you an instrument. I said, that sounds great. So we walk into this huge music store, and we're he said, just go look around, David. And I go over and I look at the electric guitars. And I go, oh, man, I want to go home with one of those. I saw the acoustical guitars and I wanted one of those. I saw the drums. I go, oh, man, I really want drums. And then my, my dad looks at me and goes, okay, it's time to go home. <laughs> and he's carrying a box. And I said, well, what about the instrument? He says, we got it. I said, what is it? You'll see when you get home. <laughs> they bought me an accordion. Now, what better way to take an insecure, self-conscious young boy and strap an accordion on him to help bolster his confidence in life? And it was all done out of love. My, my father, deeply loving. You have to understand, my father, when he came out of high school, immediately went to the deep underground mines of Pennsylvania. So his first job was 300 feet underground with a pickaxe, trying to pull coal out. And here's what he, he wanted, that it wouldn't be me doing that. He wanted me to have an alternative to going into the mines and getting black lung or dying in an accident like his best friend. So he decided it would be a good idea if I learned to play the accordion so I could be a professional accordion player in a polka band. <laughs> I know he loves me. But it was, at times, it was really hard to believe when I'm sitting there with the accordion strapped to myself thinking, oh my goodness, what is going on here today? And so, for the next four years, I took accordion lessons and hated every last minute of it. But what even got worse was when I was about nine, my parents decided that since I'm going to be a professional accordion player, they should sign me up for talent night at church one evening. Now, most of the songs that I was practicing on the accordion, you could not play in church. The beer barrel polka will not go, you know, at, at talent night at First Church of Christ in Wilkesbury, Pennsylvania. So we decided we had to come up with A, something religious, which is hard in accordion music, and B, something that I can play when I'm nine. And so we came up with, well, what's better than Jesus loves me, right? And so for like a month, I'm practicing Jesus loves me, this I know. John, I know that you told me that the definition of a gentleman is a man who knows how to play the accordion but doesn't. I may have to play a few notes just to tell you how awful this experience was for me. And so, we decided to play Jesus Loves Me. Now, imagine that for a week, this is what you hear in your house.
and I'm searching all over the place. But I, I feel like I need to get the beginning down. You know, you want to start good, right? You, want to st- you don't want to go out there and go. So after several days of that, my dad's ears bleeding. He said, David, you're doing it all wrong. My dad was really good at advice. He was, he was very kind and understanding. He just, David, you're doing it all wrong. And I go, all right, Dad, what's the problem? He says, practice the ending. Practice the ending. I said, well, you start at the beginning. He goes, David, no one's going to remember how you started. Everybody's going to remember how you ended. Nobody's going to remember how you started, but everybody's going to remember how you finish. And so then for the next few weeks, I just practiced the ending until I got it down and I could play the accordion. And I am going to be a gentleman and not play any more of this than that. Uh, yeah, you think you, you don't want me to do it. You want me to do it, but you really don't. So I get done with my little spiel. I play Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. And he closes off with the Bible tells me so. And I had a great big finish. I get done, and I'm thinking to myself while I'm on the stage, that is the last time anybody, anybody gets me on a church stage the rest of my life. <laughs> Doesn't God have a sense of humor? So, you know what was bad about growing up being an accordion player? Um, the number one question that accordion players get is, um, did the monkey come with the accordion or did you have to buy him separate? Um, I'm just here to tell you that, that that's just the way it was. I mean, look at this image. This is how people perceive uh, what it be, is to be an accordion player. You know, there he is. And it's always this way. It's like some vagrant who's standing on a street corner playing an accordion. And he has a monkey with a hat. And, and the monkey's running around looking for tips, right? Look at that monkey. Doesn't he look sad? He has to listen to the accordion player every day. When you buy an accordion this size, this is an intermediate. You don't get a monkey. They don't trust eight-year-olds with monkeys. So I was kind of sad not to get a monkey, um, but it wasn't in the cards. <clears throat> so what they do is when you're, when you're young and uh, you can't have a monkey, they give you a clown. I used to call him Chucky, <laughs> but then I met Paul Duke, and now I just call him Paul. <laughs> he was going to be very upset if I didn't make fun of him in my last sermon, weren't you, weren't you, Paul? Yeah, so we now call this Paul Duke. Keep an eye on him. It's your job all day long. Yep, playing the accordion's a lot of fun. Even the cartoonist who drew the far side had a great take on what it's like to be an accordion player. Here's the first part of that panel. Welcome to heaven, here's your harp. And then the lower part says this. Welcome to hell, here's your accordion. (laughs) And you're thinking to yourself, did I die? And this is hell. 
a church service where the guy plays the, or tries to play the accordion. <sighs> Today, I've been thinking a lot about what my dad said. Actually, I've been thinking about it for a long time. David, actually, he would say, DJ, no one remembers how you started. Everybody remembers how you finished. And I want to talk today about all of us finishing well. And I think that's probably the most important lesson I can leave you with today. When I moved here as a discipleship pastor, I left a, as being a preaching pastor. And everybody knows what a preaching pastor does. What does a preaching pastor do? Yeah, and then people would say, so what does a discipleship pastor do? And I'd go, well, that's a really good question. <laughs> i got to come up with a definition for that. And so over the years when somebody would say, so what does a discipleship pastor do? I tell them, I help people understand their identity and discover their destiny. I help people understand their identity and discover their destiny. And I have had the privilege of doing that here for 20 years. Thank you so much for the opportunity to do that. Because I can't think of any better questions to ask than these two. Who am I? Which gives to identity. And why am I here? Which leads to destiny. So today for my final sermon, which is called Last Words, because last words are important. Everybody has last words. Moses had last words, right? Joshua had last words. Jesus had the ultimate last words. I'd like to remind you of these two words that will help you find your identity and discover your destiny. Now, the Bible, and I understand this, the Bible is a very big book, and sometimes it's really complicated, but it really, the whole of the Bible comes down to these two words. God wants us to understand our identity, and he wants us to discover our destiny. And so, we're going to talk about those two words. Those are my last words, identity and destiny. And I think the Apostle Paul does this well in the book of Ephesians. As he wrote in the first century, he, had a, he has this beautiful prayer that he prays for the church. Now, we, we think that the book of Ephesians just went to the church at Ephesus, but more than likely, it was a circular letter. So, it went from church to church to church to church. In other words, a lot of people read this. And so when he says he's having a prayer, he's not having a prayer just for the church in Ephesus, which he loved. He's having a prayer for the whole church in the first century. And I believe in the 21st century, we have to understand the content of this prayer. So if you have your Bibles, I'm looking at Ephesians chapter 3. It's going to be on the, on the screens if you don't have your Bible. Paul wrote, for this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. What an opening prayer. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have the power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. What an amazing prayer that he prayed over those that he led. And I'd like to pray over you today 
in these final moments that we have together. So let's talk about our identity from this passage of Scripture. What do we learn? What is our identity here? Well, you are an unconditionally loved child of God. That is your identity. We're having a lot of conversations these days about identity, but this is your ultimate identity. Male, female, we are all unconditionally loved children of God. Notice that it says, for this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven, in, in heaven and on earth, derives its name. Did you catch that? The creator of the universe, the one who made it all, when he wants to describe who we are, he says, Father. Father. He defines our divine identity in a father-child relationship. And God wants us to see our relationship with him as one of a loving father who unconditionally loves all of his sons and daughters. When I was a teenager, other than the gift my father gave me of an accordion, on a Friday night or Saturday night when I was heading out with my buddies, he would pretty much have this saying that he would say quite frequently, actually. He would say, David, whatever you're going to do tonight, remember you wear my name. <laughs> I actually wore both of his names. We are both David Smiths. And I know what he was trying to say. Behave yourself. Don't make a decision that's going to look bad for you, but also look bad on me. But what I was also hearing was, he loved me, and I was his child, and he was my father. And how I lived was important to him. And also, I was part of a family that if I did something, everybody would wear that. Every person wears God's name because we are God's children. We wear his name and we bear his image because we are his children. It doesn't matter what you've done in your past, what you're doing in your present. We are all his children and we are all made in his image. Regardless of who you may think you are, God sees you this way. You are his unconditionally loved child and he is your loving Heavenly Father. I have people ask me quite frequently, how can God love me unconditionally? Well, some things defy explanation, don't they? And that's one of them. So God allows us to have an experience so that we can understand them. From my experience, understanding God's unconditional love for me is being a parent. And it is in that relationship with my children that I have come to understand God's unconditional love. Because somewhere it's just there in me. If you're a parent, let me ask you, how did you come to love your children? Like when it was born, they didn't give you a book that says, here, here's how to love your kid, right? You didn't grow into it. It was just there. From somewhere in us, we just love them. And it was 
And it still is absolute, unconditional love. We just love them because of how God has made us. Just think for a moment. You loved them in the womb before you ever saw their little face, right? You loved them when they came into the world and let out that first cry, and you go, oh, he cried. And you loved them when that same cry stole night after night of your sleep, and you think, when is this kid ever going to stop crying? You still love them the same. And you love them when some unrecognizable substance oozed or was projected out of some bodily orifice all over you. You still love them the same. It's almost as if you can't stop loving them. Unconditional love is just there. But from where? Love like that is the one great evidence, I think, of the existence of God. We are not wired to do that except by the wiring of God. All the other animals in the animal kingdom don't have that. We have that. Unconditional love for a lifetime with our kids. We love them unconditionally because we are made in the image of God. And that unconditional love we have for our children is just God's way of showing what his love is for us. Here's the thing that I don't think most Christians can truly appreciate. You and God are more alike than you know. You and God are more alike than you know. And one of the evidences of that is your ability to love your children unconditionally all your life and all their life. When it comes to some people, they can't believe that God really loves them that way. And they can't receive that God loves them that way. And when I hear people who are having that, there's usually two statements that they make that realize that they're struggling with this idea that God unconditionally loves them just because they're, they're his children and, and made in his image. And, and one of the statements goes like this, God can't love me ever. God can't love me ever. Some people can't imagine that God could ever come to the point where he would love them unconditionally because they are connecting God's love to some bad choice they made in their life that was so horrific that they cannot forgive themselves, and they don't think that God can forgive them. And this is not about forgiveness. This is about love. What they cannot believe or what they cannot receive is that even though they did those things, God still unconditionally loves them as his child. Probably one of the most haunting conversations in my whole 45 years of ministry happened one day at, uh, at the gym when I was working out back in Pennsylvania. By the way, hey, Bloomsburg, if you're with us today, uh, I know some of you from Wilkesbury, Scranton, you're right here. In case you don't know where you are, you're right here. <clears throat> there was a fellow I was working out with, I would see him pretty frequently. He was a federal marshal, and um, we got to talking, and I got to know what he did, and then he asked what I did, and I always hated to tell people what I did because they get very weird when they find out you're a, you're a preacher. But we got past that, and we had a number of good, long conversations, and one day he said to me, I'll never forget it, I've never had anybody actually put this in words this succinctly. He said, I know I'm going to hell. I said, you don't have to. 
Yeah, I do. Can we talk about that? Nope. I know I'm going to hell. You see, he was one of those people who would say, God can't love me ever because there was something that he did in his life that all of a sudden he thought that God could not forgive and that God could not love. And he just disappeared. He got transferred to another federal marshal posting. We never wrestled that one to the ground. And that was one of the most frustrating conversations. It's one of the saddest conversations I've ever had in my life. And I wish the answer would have been different. He just couldn't believe it, and he couldn't receive it. But then there's other people who will say, well, God can't love me right now. They believe that God loved them somewhere in their past, but they're somewhere right now that they think is beyond the love of God. And they're hoping that someday they'll get their life together, and on the other side of this, God will love them again. But right now, they can't imagine that God loves them unconditionally. Unconditional love means that God loves you regardless of what has gone on or is going on in your life because, look at this, God's unconditional love is based upon his person, not your performance. I love my kids comes from me. I don't love them when I like what they're doing, and I don't not love them when I don't like what they're doing. I love them across the board. God's love is based upon his person, not our performance. That type of unconditional love, I get it, is hard. It's hard to explain, and God knows it because he says this in that prayer that Paul offered. He said, I pray that you know this love that surpasses knowledge. I just can't teach it to you. You can't receive it that way. So God helps us understand it because we've experienced it in our human life. I have been able to embrace God's unconditional love in ways that I never could have if I had never had children. But you know, there's another way that you really learn unconditional love that is even better than being a parent. You know what it is? It's being a grandparent. You didn't conceive them. You didn't carry them. You were not there when they squirted out. But no matter what, you love them the same way you love their mother who gave birth to them. It's just there. Why? Because that is being made in the image of God. God said, here, let me give you this thing called unconditional love. It's going to be part of being my child. I want you to be able to know it and so you can experience. And then he lets you be a grandparent because when they're stinky or noisy, you send them home. And that's the best life ever. <laughs> Just a note to those of you who have kids right now who are teenagers. Don't kill them. Grandkids are in the future, and it'll be all worthwhile. Okay? Just hang on for a little longer. I know, when they come to you and say, I wish I'd never been born, don't say, me too. <laughs> Hold on. Because you know you love them. And man, grandkids are just unconditional love on steroids. My parting prayer for each of you 
is that you can grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ for you. You cannot do one thing that will make God love you more or love you less. You can't do one thing that will make God love you more or love you less. He will always love you. It's not he doesn't love me now. It's not he never loved me. He couldn't love me. It's, you know, it's not on you. This love thing, it's in him. It's not on you. Love him or not, his love is still unconditional. He loves you unconditionally, even if you don't love him. And follow him or not, his love for you is what? What's the word? Unconditional. You know, so as a discipleship pastor, it's been a joy to help people find their identity. They are this person who's been made in the image of God, and he is their child. And regardless of who they are or what they've done, they are bathed in his unconditional love. But I also get to help people discover their destiny. Just as God loves everyone the same, he has the same destiny for everyone. Just as God loves everyone the same, he has the same destiny for everyone. Now, sometimes when we hear the word destiny, two things come to mind. One is that it's way far away. It's something way out in the future, maybe a year, maybe 10 years, maybe 20 years, that there's some kind of destiny way out on the horizon. And the other is, when it comes to destiny, it must be just about me. It's, it's specific to me. It's peculiar just to me, to no one else. Well, sometimes that is true about destiny. But the other part of that you have to understand is this, that God has one destiny for everyone. doesn't matter who you are. God has the same destiny for everyone. So hopefully I've kind of piqued your attention. It's not in the future. It is now and the future, it's not just you, it's you and everyone else. So what is the common destiny we share? It is this, God desires to walk with you now and forever. That's it, David, that's it? There's a whole lot there. Because mostly as Christians, we talk about walking with God later, right? Like, when we die, we want to walk with God, and there's nothing wrong with that. I'm, I'm all in on that. But that's way out there. Well, maybe not for all of us, but there's a way out for most of us, let's say. It wouldn't it be nice if God had a destiny for me, like right now, that we all can share? And I think that's what exactly Paul is, is saying in all this. You know, hopefully you love someone unconditionally because it'll help you understand your destiny. If you love someone unconditionally, when do you want to be with them? Now and always. If you love somebody unconditionally, you go, eh, now's not so important, but maybe a couple of years I'll, I'll go over and I'll, we'll spend some time together. No, if you unconditionally, you deeply love someone, you want to be with them now and you want to be with them forever, and that is exactly what God has in store. You see, you and God are more alike than you think or no. Because God loves all of us unconditionally, he wants to walk with us now 
and yes, forever. Here's the interesting thing. God does not want to wait for you to die to walk with you. He loves you so much he wants to walk with you today and all the way into eternity. Paul wrote this in the prayer, that we may know our destiny is that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. The word dwell is important there. It means to take a permanent residency. It means never to leave. It's, it's home. It's where you go. It's, it's where you're safe. And he says, I want you to be able to understand that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Here's the way I like to explain our common destiny for now and forever. God's destiny for us is to dwell with us. God's destiny for us is to dwell with us. Paul was not writing in the future tense that they may someday have Christ dwell in their hearts. He said that you may have Christ dwell in your hearts, that you're living with God right now, that you're walking with Christ right now. You're walking with him through this life, and you are walking with him into the next life. So what does that look like? I think God loves it when he's your first thought of the day. Two types of people in the world, like my wife, people who love the morning, who wake up and say, good morning, God. And then there's people like me who do not like the morning and say, good God, it's morning. (laughs) How many of you are morning people? Could you all be quieter in the morning? (laughs) Tone it down. The rest of us are just kind kind of sliding into the day. We're just going, oh, good God, it's morning. But However long it takes you in your morning, some of you are like up there right from the beginning. The rest of us are going to slide into it a little bit slower. Here's what God wants. He wants, you to be, he wants to be one of your first thoughts in the day. Why? Because he loves you. And when you love someone, you want to be with them, right? You want to be with them when? As much as you can be. God wants to be your first thought of the day. And you know what? He also wants to be your last thought of the day. And in between your first thought of the day and your last thought of the day, There's all those moments in the day when God wants you to be aware that he's walking with you. Like when you're driving to work and when you're walking into work and when you're sitting in a meeting at work and when you're having lunch in the workroom with your coworkers. As you're driving home on 465 and it's going nowhere, you look over and you say, we're not going anywhere, are we, God? No, we're not. God just wants to have that long-running conversation, your awareness and conversing with him throughout the day. And I know we, we think that we have to wait to get to heaven to do that. And God goes, no, 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 no. I'm living in you now. We can start this now. And let's enjoy it. Now, I'll be quite honest with you. There are days when I do wake up, and the first thing I think about is God, and the last thing I think about is God. And in between, I've been able to hold him into my mind and into my heart. And, and then there, I'll be honest with you, there are days when I don't. And let me kind of give you an illustration of what the difference of a day looks like when you're walking with God through the day from your first thought to your last thought and every thought in between, and you're still doing all your other stuff. I'm not saying you're bowing your head and you're praying. You're just having this ongoing conversation with God. When I do it right, my day feels and looks a lot like that. 
Isn't that pretty? Somebody has a good green thumb. You know what the day looks like when I'm not thinking about God? That day looks a lot like your garden. It's a little bit dry. It's a little bit withered. A little bit parched. My goal is to have more days like this and fewer days like this. Now, you know what's interesting? When I'm having one of these days with God, horrible things can happen, and I'm fine. You know what? When I'm having a day like this, wonderful things can happen, and it still doesn't seem to work. It's not the stuff that happens in life. It's who you've gone through the stuff with that makes all the difference. So God wants to be your first and your continuing thought all through your day that everything you're facing, that's his destiny for all of us. Not some of us, all of us. That's why Jesus said in John chapter 10, 10, I've come that you may have life and to have it to the full. Now, I want you to look at that verse of Scripture because we often misread this passage of Scripture. A lot of times you'll read this and people will put in it a word that isn't there. They'll read it this way. I've come that you may have eternal life. It is not what that says. Did Jesus come to have etern- give us eternal life? Yes, and he, have, he addresses that frequently. But in this verse, he doesn't address that. He says, I have come that you may have life. And that you may have it to the what? 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 Full. Empty. This is the with God life. This is the without God life. And it all starts now and just keeps rolling into eternity. A with God day is a day when I'm running in a constant awareness and conversation with God. Those days are alive. And beautiful. And I pray that you start that walk with God every day because your life can look like this instead of that. And the days that I'm not engaged in this running awareness and conversation with God as I walk through the day become empty and dry. And I pray that that's not going to be for you. So let's understand that here's our destiny that we are walking in an awareness and conversation with God, and that will be life-changing. Last words. The first one, identity. You are an unconditionally loved child of God. Destiny. God desires to walk with you, both now and forever. One of the things that I have loved in my 20 years of being here is having the opportunity to lead us in communion. And that's where we're going to be going right now. So I'll ask you to find your communion packet there. There's something special for me, even sacred, about this time that we share together. And I am so glad that one last time I get to bring the whole church family together 
around and celebrate the Last Supper of Jesus. And typically, I will force our attention and direct our attention that we need to be looking at Jesus. Today, I would like to shift it just a little bit. I want us to celebrate this time together through the lens of family. Remember how this starts out? For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. We are a family. I bet you thought I forgot about that puzzle piece, didn't you? I want you to look, find your puzzle piece. I want you to pull it out. Hopefully, as you came in, you picked up one of these. I've had all kinds of things that have been suggested. Um, somebody thought that it was my face on it. It's not. <laughs> Paul Duke thought it was his face on it, and it is not. This puzzle piece is a reminder that we don't walk alone. Yes, we walk with God, but we walk together with each other. Here's a truth for you. We are better together. We are better at following Jesus together than we are following on our own. Remember what my dad said? David, no one's going to remember how you started. Everybody's going to remember how you finish. I want you all to finish well. Start your walk with Jesus now, and when that day comes and you go to the next life, that you will find it well. I want you to walk with others because life is, is tough, and we need, we need family. There's going to be good days to share it with, and there are going to be bad days where they lift us up. There's going to be danger ahead, and they're going to pull us away from that danger. You see, a puzzle piece by itself means nothing. It only becomes when it's together with all the other pieces. Uh, would you like to see the actual puzzle put back together? Your piece is part of this puzzle. Do you remember the song I practiced for talent night? What was it? Jesus loves me. That's the picture of somebody finishing well. And we'll finish better together than we ever will apart. It's important for us to come together for communion right now. And yes, celebrate the death of Jesus, but to remember the family he gave birth to. And someday, we'll all get to heaven and maybe get to build this puzzle someday. But until then, we'll hold on to each other until we get there. So, as an act of unity, as an act of family, I'm going to ask you to take the, the bread out of your container. This is the body of Christ that was broken for you, but not just for you, but for you and for you and for you and for you for you, for you watching online, for you in the back. This makes us one family. The body of Christ, broken for you.
And then on that last supper with his disciples, Jesus took the cup. And he looked at it. And he said, this is the blood of the new covenant that is shed for you. And you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and you. This is the body of Christ shed for us. Lord, we have just experienced another way that reminds us of unconditional love. Jesus loved us so much that he gave up his throne in glory and came down and was put in a body. And that body went to a cross and that body was broken and his blood was shed. All to demonstrate one thing, that we are loved and God wants to walk with us. Thank you for our identity and thank you for our destiny. And I thank you for this family as we'll finish better together. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen.